Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 410 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is a little late because I was sick for a couple of days, but I'm feeling better now, and we're getting back on track. Today's episode is with Quincy. Quincy is the husband of a woman who has type 1 diabetes. At one point, I thought this episode may become an after dark because of how honest Quincy was getting, but then I realized it's just a good episode. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. In this episode, you're going to find out what it's like to be married to somebody with type 1 diabetes. If you have a little extra time after this episode, please check out the T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Take a moment, fill out their survey, add your data, support the podcast, support type 1 diabetes research. t1dexchange.org, U.S. residents only. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. This episode is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. You can find out more about the meter, their test strip program, and whether or not you're eligible for a free meter, free, at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Well, my name is uh, Quincy Belk, and I, uh, I'm excited to be here. That's oh, excellent. Uh, so Quincy, are you a person with type one diabetes? Are you someone that loves someone with type one diabetes? What's your story? My wife is uh, is type one diabetic, mm. and so I am her. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm her assistant when it comes to these sorts of things. <laughs> I'm my wife's assistant, but more for like hair appointments and <laughs> doctor's visits and anything she doesn't really want to talk about. I'm always like, "Hi, uh, Scott Benner, calling for Kelly." Kelly like a half head with a highlight and a cut. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you really know how to ask about this. And I was like, yeah, it's one of the real uh, highlights of my life that I know how to uh, order a haircut for a lady. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but I, I know how. I, so I, I guess let's. So you know, we're going to share your wife's name. Yeah, yeah. Her name is uh, her name is Rachel. Okay. And so was Rachel a type one when you met her? She was, yeah. She uh, she was diagnosed when she was nineteen in her freshman year of college. Her and I started dating um, in her in her um, junior year of college. Okay, I'm interested in that a little bit because that that's a, a real unique experience. And honestly, we were just talking about this with Arden last night. I I swear to you, I swear to you, last night, um, it came up, and I said to Arden, you know, there are people who come on the show who have been dissuaded by family members from dating or marrying people with type one. And that took Arden hundred percent gobsmacked her. She, she couldn't like wrap her head around that. And I said, and, and there are also people who come on who find wonderful supportive spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends and whatever. And, and I said, I think that that's sort of part of the journey is to find a person who understands. And she kind of looked quizzical. I was like, you know, it's going to take a, a special person to realize 
that they may have to wake up at two in the morning pretty frequently and be like, Hey, Arden, Arden, you know, your blood sugar's low or what, what should we do that kind of thing? And, and she started smiling. She goes, Oh, they are going to have to wake me up because I don't get up. And I was like, right, exactly. And, and so what about Rachel, I guess back in those early days, what made diabetes not seem like a, like a bridge too far for you, I guess. Well, that's a, that's an excellent question. It's actually, uh, it was part of a, a struggle that I actually had. Weirdly enough, I had this really um, preconceived notion. I was not going to date anyone with chronic illness. Um, I know that sounds like a very specific dating uh, qualification um, other than them being like ambidextrous or something, <laughs> um, you know, but I had this really specific I, I don't know. It was this concern that was definitely just based out of a, a mindset of selfishness where I didn't want to have to deal with somebody else's problems. And that actually occurred to you as a younger person. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I was actually um, really good friends with a girl before I met my wife and she, she had some, some chronic issues. And, and I remember we ended up not dating and i I kind of attributed to that, but whenever I met my wife, I would, I would say that definitely uh, the turning point was probably the, probably the season of life that I was in at that moment in time allowed me to be, I think that I had just come out of some difficult stuff mm -hmm. and it really kind of seasoned me for, you know, dating and pursuing my wife. Okay. And uh, I've known my wife for a very long time. She's actually family friends and has been, in and out of my life for years. Um, but it, it definitely took a coming to Jesus meeting, you know, where my wife was very frank with me about the qualifications for a guy that would have to date her. And they weren't necessarily based around, um, you know, type one care, because at that point in time, she was very independent, didn't really want any help with managing type one. Um, and was okay with that, but she really laid out some very strict qualifications for the guy that needed to pursue her and how, you know, I needed to be a leader. I needed to step up and fill this void. And I remember just sitting in the car and I was like, I have no idea why she's telling me all this stuff. There's no way in the world I can do any of this. Um, but I think that was, that was part of, of that journey was realizing that, you know what? Typically speaking, I would run from this situation because it feels really hard, but I really liked her, right. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And the, again, I think the me being seasoned before that really kind of helped to move me into a better, better, better state of mind um, where I felt a little more capable of, of uh, emotionally being able to step into that void and help her. Well, let me ask you a question. Is there anything that happened prior that would make you not want to be around illness? Did, was there illness in your family? Did you grow up around it? Or is that just some like wild haired, like 17 year old, like thought? Oh, I think it was definitely a wild hair kind of thought. Um, I didn't really grow up around any kind of chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I think it, I think it really just basically came down to this idea of just not wanting to, I, I think I felt that. Uh, incorrectly, of course, I think I felt that if I married someone with a chronic illness, that it would, it would, uh, it would lessen my ability to have fun in life Okay. because I would be, I would be tethered down to 
having to move at a pace that was more conducive for them as opposed to one that was what I wanted to do. And so maybe just a young, immature selfishness, you think? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. And then, of course, Rachel's so amazing, you have to rethink everything. But prior to even figuring all that out, she's laying out for you what you need to do. That's a very Southern thing, isn't it? This is what you're going to have to do if you want to be with me. I like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Very, very, uh, very Southern in that nature. But it's one of the things I've always appreciated about her. She's very, um, she's never, she's never minced words, uh, which is sometimes hard, but also at least I don't have to worry about what's going on inside of her head. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. She tells me, you know, what's happening. Well, well, I think that by the way, that shouldn't just be a Southern thing. That should be, everyone should have a reasonable expectation that they're going to be treated a certain way, uh, especially by somebody they're going to, you know, hitch their wagon to, uh, that's a, that's a long life of, of, of not, I, I was listening to someone the other day who's had diabetes for a handful of years. Um, I don't want to give away any of their details, but, uh, wanted their husband to be more involved and went to them and had been you know married for a long time and said, you know, I need you to understand this better. And the husband wasn't interested. And now that's a, a, you know, a new problem for their relationship. And and I would say pretty significant. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's not for everybody. But I wondered when I heard that person say that, is the guy not interested or is he worried he's going to screw something up? Like, is it just a fear or is it apathy? You know, which, which is it exactly? Um, uh, anyway, so you're dating in college and she's of course, like you mentioned, not really looking for help with her diabetes, but how does it get to the point where you actually are able to be helpful and that she's willing to take that help? In the early years of our dating and in even the early days of our, our marriage, we would go to this restaurant that we really loved and we would always order these, you know, great sandwiches. And then after we would eat, there would always be this big old slice of sweet potato cake mm. that we would always eat. This is uh, in our early, early years. And I remember uh, Rachel's decision whether or not to eat any of this cake or some of this cake she would literally do a finger stick right then. And it was almost kind of like just, you know, the magic eight ball, what mm. was the number going to be? And that was going to determine her, her mindset going into that. Um, and, and that was a really interesting thing because again, we would, uh, she was, she was very much in control over the situation, but definitely not to the point where she had things fine tuned and she really wanted to live a more uh, a more bold life, um, so to speak, with with how she treated her type one. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for her, where the turning point occurred, uh, she actually was on the phone. A friend of hers actually called and said, "Hey, uh, my husband's thinking about getting an Omnipod. Would you get on the phone with him and just maybe talk through some of the pros and cons of Omnipod?" So Rachel was like, oh, yeah, I love helping people. This would be great. So she gets on the phone with this guy. And before she gets off the phone, uh, he has told her about your podcast. And little did she know that she thought she was going on to convince this guy to use, you know, an Omnipod. But by the time she got off the phone, she was like, hey, Quincy, this guy was telling me about some podcasts where, you know, this guy 
talks about type one, his daughter. And I was like, yeah, you should listen to it. And Rachel wasn't super big on the idea initially, but I was like, no, you should do it. We, in fact, we're, we're, we're driving to Florence. Let's listen to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the episode where you had a girl on that had to have, I cannot even remember. It was like, a, uh, she had like six organs taken out or something crazy like that. Like a pancreas, something. I can't, I can't remember what that word is called. I, I know which one you mean. And there we go. Yeah. And it, I can't think of the title of it because I wanted to name it something super silly. And she stopped me. I was like, Hey, I was so excited. I told her, I'm like, I'm going to name your episode this. She's like, please do not name it that. And I was like, Oh, all right. never mind. I felt like I was married for a second. I was like, okay. And, <laughs> and now I can't remember any of the details. I only remember that experience. By the way, she was right. It was, I had some silly idea in mind. She's like, don't we want people to know what it's about a little bit? And I was like, no, that's not how I think about it. And she goes, maybe you should. <laughs> that's too funny. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so we, we listened to that on the way down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for the first time in both of our collective lives, she's tried to explain the intricacies of type one to me, but it always felt so medical and so intimidating. Yeah. Um, and so there was a, there was this fear, of course, that, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know enough and she knew so much and I would never be able to, you know, achieve her level of knowledge. And we listened to your bold with insulin talk right after that. And I remember looking over at her and I being like, I, I have spent the first year and a half of our marriage having absolutely no idea about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he just explained this in a way that even I could understand in an hour. And, you know, I, I kind of refer to it as, as really just the Rosetta stone for type one diabetes. Um, and it just, it really, it illuminated my understanding, but it also, I think gave us a common language. And once we had that common language and I could understand not only, you know, what bumping and nudging was, or, you know, why you would do an extended bolus, whenever we could actually have those conversations, you know, it gave us some language, some common language to be able to engage one another on that topic. And before I would have never had, you know, any of the wherewithal to, to engage her on that. But through, you know, being able to establish something like that, it really helped us to move towards one another and kind of move towards being partners in, uh, in managing things. It sounds to me like you guys are my best shot to get a baby named after me. That's, that's what I'm hearing. Quite possible. Yeah, quite that's possible. really all I just heard. No, I'm just kidding. That's really lovely for you to say. Um, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm happy that it's what happened. I, I, I have to tell you that Jenny and I were just texting each other before you and I started to record and we were lamenting about some of the information that's uh, available in the diabetes community and um, how some of it seems to pop up very soon after she and I talk about stuff on the podcast. And then suddenly other people have the idea that maybe that's something they should be talking about. And then we looked at it and it's so dry and boring and technical that I think this is great information no one's going to read this. You, you know, it, like you have to know how to talk about things to make them interesting to people. And I used to be worried that, you know, somebody would come along and just rip off the podcast. And now I realize that it's about communication, if not more, as at least as much as it is about getting out good information. Like the information's great, 
But if you can't put it out there in a way that can be easily absorbed and and put into practice, it's kind of useless, you know. And th- that it reached you, a person who didn't have diabetes, and I was probably at, a, at more than an arm's length from it until then. I'm really pleased by that. I, I'm, I'm glad you told me that. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. I mean, it's definitely been a help, and I, I definitely hope that it helps other people um, because it would be a shame for all of this information. You you actually said something. I was listening to your podcast, uh, your most recent podcast with, um, oh, goodness gracious, her name is going to escape me, um, singer-songwriter girl. Oh, Darcy. Darcy, there we yep, go. Right. I should have written that written that down. No, but I remember you speaking to her yesterday, and uh, you made the point that this generation of young people are so well armed with their, you know, with their education, but also with their resources mm-hmm. and their capacity for for helping people. I mean, this is a very unique time in in type one management with all of these CGMs floating around, all of these different ideas um, and these podcasts that are just armed to the teeth with fantastic information and uh, all of the, just this, the, the, the massive amount of really helpful people and resources that did not exist 50 years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm unaware of anyone else in the diabetes space except for me. Um, I feel like I'm the only one. But I hear what you're saying. Like, if you wanted to learn to barbecue or something like that, there's probably plenty of people who could. Uh, by the way, you now just have a, an insight into what I've been doing personally lately, teaching myself how to use a pellet grill. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to say, you've, uh, you've mentioned several times about some barbecue here. It's a so. <laughs> very, very, specific, uh, um, a very specific example. But, but, but to your point... Uh, it's going to sound like a very privileged thing to say, but this COVID-19 thing started. I still get to work. You know, my wife mm-hmm. gets to work. We're in our home. It's maddening, but it's not, it's, I'm not trapped in a, you know, a 500 by 500 apartment in Manhattan, or, you know, in, in Brooklyn or something like that. So it's, you know, it's manageable. I have some space to go outside. Uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. We're still making money. So obviously that's all pretty amazing, but I suddenly had more time and I was like, okay, Here's one thing I want to happen and one thing I don't want to happen. What I don't want to happen is for me to gain 20 pounds during COVID-19, which I thought <laughs> easily could have happened, right? And so I started paying attention to some health stuff that I was interested in before but didn't have the time to get to. I cut out some oils from my life, canola, um, vegetable oil, eight, maybe seven or eight other oils that I heard this doctor talking about, like, just don't take these oils in. I'm like, yeah, right on. And so I did that and I moved to an intermittent, uh, intermittent fasting, uh, way of eating. So I only eat between noon and 8 PM. And then, so it's eight on 16 off. And we are pretty far into COVID-19 at this point. You and I are talking at the very beginning of June and I've lost 11 pounds and I'm eating way more food than I, ever used to eat. And I'm talking about like substantial stuff. So then I was like, all right, well, I got to up my game on my cooking, you know, because before my whole diet was about limiting things like limit, limit, limit. And that way, hopefully you won't gain too much weight as I get older. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to, um, I feel like I'm a fairly decent cook in the house, but I always wanted to do better with like barbecuing things and grilling things. So I was able to go online 
and watch videos and read things that taught me enough that I thought I could do this. And then I used that same information to decide on which girl to get. And we're six days into it. And I think we've had ribs and uh, steak and burgers. And uh, what else did we make? Uh, Something else, a chicken. And tonight I'm making pulled pork. And I have to tell you, if it wasn't for taking the time to stop and listen to what other people had to say, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Like, no lie. Like, it was the slowing down and listening. And I, mm. and I was saying to, I was saying to my wife the other day, I hope that this time has been good for people with the podcast because of that. And I tried to make the point early on on social media. I was like, listen, guys, now's a great time to like do something for yourself. You know, you've got this extra time because you have to slow down and listen to the podcast. It's not something. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a couple of grabber episodes like, you know, you'll listen to episode 11 and a lot of people say that that's what got them into it. Um, but you really do have to just take the time to listen to. It's not just me. Like, I'll joke about it being me, but it's it's other people's stories, hearing how they handle things, hearing them say something and me go, hey, have you considered this or we do that? That's the amalgam that eventually ends up being. I don't know. Like it's enough information that you can learn how to make a brisket. You know what I mean? Like without anybody sitting down and going step one, step two, step three, it's, you know, I think it's a great way to learn about diabetes. And I, and I, I think it's proving out your experience, you know, specifically in others, uh, in a more wide view, but it, it, it's how I think of it. And, and the more I do it, the more I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. So yeah, it's really kind of like a living cyclopedia or an encyclopedia um, where it's just kind of just constantly growing. And the more experiences you have on there, the more helpful it may be for someone in a particular circumstance. Yeah. Well, um, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back for you a little bit here. I'm maybe a little more well thought out than I let on, but I see the <laughs> podcast as um, it's an extension of how I parent. So I like to not be up my kids asses. I like to sort of sit back, see what's going on with them, do my best to figure it out. And then kind of swoop in once in a while with something that I think will, you know, season what's going on for them at the moment or move it forward or expand an idea. Um, And oftentimes they need to just be left alone. But what I do is I take the, the, the social media around diabetes and I look at what's going on and what people are saying. And I don't think, how do I talk to them about what they're asking, which I think is what most people do. I see, I see other people sometimes are like, um, tell us what you want to hear on the show or what do you want me to write about on my blog? And I was like, see, that's your mistake. Your mistake is letting the people who are lost lead the tribe like that, if they knew, they wouldn't be here. So instead, I look at where they're lost, and I decide for me what I think would move them along. Now, I'm not going to be right for everybody, but you know, again, it's proving out that it it might be working for a lot of people. So I just look, and I'm like, all right, where where are people struggling? What would I say to them if that was my kid? Like, if this is a parenting situation, and my son says, I have this problem. What would I do next? What would I nudge him with, bump him with, 
you know, season him with to keep him moving out of that problem into a better place. And so that's what I try to do with the podcast. That and and, and because of that, it becomes an ever growing conversation. And I hope it's a, a journey. But that's why when people start listening, I think, oh, I hope they go back to the beginning so that they can they can catch up. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's it's a high minded idea, especially now that there's 340 episodes. But people do it, so oh yeah, it's astonishing to me. Have you gone back and listened to older ones, or did you kind of start where you started and kept moving forward? I've kind of bounced around. Um, I have a I have a very short attention span. Um, like most men. And uh, I have listened to a handful of the juice box podcast episodes. And I've definitely started to try to listen to them chronologically. Rachel's actually listened to every single one of them. I think from your oldest to your newest chronologically, that's the appropriate way to do it. I just want to tell everybody, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was impressive. I was like, man, girls, uh, girls tearing through it. I want all of your downloads is what I'm saying. I need every one of them. You can't, <laughs> I cannot dominate this space. If you guys don't listen to all the episodes, <laughs> I don't, you know what? Seriously. It's funny. I mean, and don't mean both of those things. Like, like I, it's cool. If you don't want to listen to all of them, I don't mind. Uh, if you did, it would definitely make the podcast more powerful for the lack of a better term. Uh, and it would swing a bigger, Oh, I almost said something I didn't mean to say. Swing a bigger stick, which would help it find, <laughs> which would help it find other, you know, better, uh, uh, I don't know, guests. And I don't mean better guests. I mean more guests and, and ideas and, and attract, attract, you know, thought leaders back here, which would be great. Um, but at the same time, I just want you to get out of it what you need. So if you, if you need to take the journey to get caught up, that's, terrific and if you can jump in and do pro tip episodes or something like that and get yourself where you want to be i think that's cool too um i I think it could be a lot of different things for different people but yeah i mean one thing that i think that i go searching for as i've been listening through the podcast and i I haven't i guess i haven't technically come across one yet which is one from the from the supporter side that talks about the the emotional and uh, just the the physical uh, kind of pull on the supporter of a type one diabetic. Quincy, you're doing my um, job for me, transitioning the show to the next topic. Good for you. <laughs> Sorry. He's like, this guy's going to keep talking about how great his podcast is. We're never going to get to why I'm on. Uh, but but that isn't. But no. Uh, but thank you. Yes. Quincy's making a great point. He came on the show to talk about this life he has being the person who loves the person who has diabetes. So, um, and, and all that comes with it. And so I guess let's start with you, right? Is it hard on you? It can be. It really can be. Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com slash risk. I remember the moment when I realized 
that we were using a certain brand of insulin because the doctor had given it to us and said, here's your insulin. Very similarly, I never thought there may be other blood glucose meters, even better ones, more accurate ones than the one that the doctor gave me in the office. Well, now I know that the Contour Next One blood glucose meter is the easiest to use, easiest to transport, most accurate meter that's available. But it wasn't the one the doctor handed us. But that's not a problem because you can switch. You can use whatever blood glucose meter you want. You really should take a second to go to contournext.com forward slash juice box to learn more about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Yes, it has second chance test strips, meaning you can go touch the blood, not quite get enough and go back without hurting the accuracy of the test. But it's also easy to hold, easy to find in a purse or a pocket, has a bright light and an easy to read screen. It does all the things you want your blood glucose meter to do. So check them out. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. They also have a a lot. There's a lot on that webpage. Just go look. Also, gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box and the T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Let me get you right back to Quincy. There's a lot more coming. He really picks up steam in the second half, gets all full of the feels and really opens up. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting the podcast. There are links in the show notes right here in your podcast player, links at juiceboxpodcast.com, where you can type those addresses right into any web browser. Thanks so much for all of your support. Is it hard on you? It can be. It really can be. I think that I think that it was harder at first than it is now, mm-hmm. but each and every day presents its own challenges. Um, and a lot of those definitely you know, manifest themselves in the way in which Rachel's blood sugar is going in a particular day. If she's having a good day, it's usually a lot less. If she's having a bad blood sugar day, then it's definitely a lot more. Um, like if she has one of those mornings where she shoots low for breakfast and then shoots high for lunch and then shoots low for dinner, it's going to be a really challenging day emotionally for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I will say I have gotten a lot better with it throughout the course of our marriage, but I am not a person that is naturally gifted in empathy. It is something that I definitely have to focus on and put very intentional fault towards. Um, I find myself just being a problem solver. That's, that's how I operate in what I do for a living. That's how my mindset is. If I can rationalize the problem away, then, then why is it an issue? Mm. You know, it's, it's like, well, I mean, your sugar is high. Okay. Well then give yourself more insulin. It's like, yeah, that is, that is true. But, She's also gone low and then high and then low and then high. So there's that emotional, I mean, literally it's the roller coaster of her emotions going up and down, up and down. 
and not being blind to that and just looking at it and pulling up the Dexcom and being like, yeah, but I mean, you're pretty much within range. I mean, you went to a 65 and then you went back up and, you know, you were 140 and then you went back down again. So instead of looking at it being like, yeah, for 65% of the day, you've been within range. I think asking myself the harder questions about, okay, but what does it feel like emotionally mm -hmm. to be her going through that high, that low, that high, that low, and not trying to shut myself off emotionally from being supportive. Yeah. Well, because there's all these other things that are happening to her. She's might be very well nauseous. Um, she could end up getting achy from it, cloudy or foggy, you know, to go from dizzy to foggy to nauseous is that's not exactly a fun ride, but you're looking at the numbers and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, we kind of did it. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't too bad. Um, and I hear what you're saying, man. Like it's, uh, it's difficult to be a boy in those situations because you really do for many of us. And I, I, in my own life fall into that category. Like I, it's a, not a stretch, but it's been a learning, uh, situation for me to talk to people the way I do on the podcast, because it is really my inclination to be like, what are you sad? Just stop being sad. Let's go. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like it's just, mm -hmm. uh, even though that's completely unreasonable, it is how things feel like, get it done, move on. Let's kill something, build something or whatever we got to do and keep going, like keep succeeding, keep living. Like that is a real, uh, uh, it's a, it's a real way that I feel. And it's what you just described too, I think. Um, and so, What's the secret there? Do you have to stop yourself? Do you find yourself being reminded by a look from Rachel? Like, how does it work? I'd say it's kind of a twofold thing. Um, for me, part of it, we, we, it kind of came to a head one day when we were out grocery shopping. And I finally looked over at her and I remember saying, I don't know how to say this without sounding selfish, but this emotional toll of going up and down and having you happy, sad, happy, sad really affects me too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know, you know, I don't, I know I don't have type one. And I think that it always limited me from being willing to say anything because I felt as though I probably shouldn't. I, I don't really have that much going on compared to her. And so it kind of kept me in a very quiet place where I just really sat on my emotions and allowed for them to just build, which as we all know, for all of us married folk, it's not helpful. <laughs> was it scary to tell her that? Like, did you think there was a possibility that she'd say, well, if you don't like it, why don't you just leave? Uh, by uh, the way, when you said you were in the grocery store, I thought you were going to tell her that you were just going to leave her there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what daddy did. Go. Uh, I'm going to go to the car, <laughs> never come back. Uh, but which, you know, I, I, I wonder, like, seriously, like when you say that to her in the back of your mind, you think like this is going to start us down a path of destruction or what was your hope then? Or did it just need to come out? My hope was that she would meet me in the middle and kind of understand that from my perspective that, yeah, this is, this is challenging. I mean, I'm, I'm basically asked to be on deck every single, you know, minute of every day to handle from an emotional side, how you feel. And one, I'm not traditionally good at that. So that's, that's already put me in a weird place. And right. two, if I don't feel like I can talk about it, then that's really, really challenging. Um, but she responded, she actually got quiet after I told her that. And 
I remember her looking at me saying, I didn't know you felt like that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was very reassuring. I, I think I felt initially when the words were coming out of my mouth, I couldn't help but feel selfish. I thinking, why, why am I saying this? But it's true. It really is impactful on your life. I mean, there's no doubt that Arden having diabetes has fundamentally changed the course of how we live. It's, you know, it's, it's just what it is. It wouldn't be any different than if she was, I don't know, anything, you know, a different height. I don't know. Like I exactly like everything about people's lives shapes the way their life is. And, and this is just one of those things. It's funny. It's diabetes. So you're aware of it. But if, you know, I don't know. What if you were married to somebody who was just uh, depressed? You know, I think that would be a similar situation. Like you're, um, it's hard to know what's going to happen next. And so that everything always feels like a prep moment. Does that make sense? Like, like I'm always ready for something to happen. Like I came up last night at, you know, for bed and I just brought a juice box with me. And I was like, because oh, are there any upstairs? I wasn't sure. So I grabbed one. And I think about things like that all the time. Like, you know, you're about to get in the car. You think about things. You're going to dinners in an hour. You know, what's her blood sugar? Let's make sure we're ready there. And then when somebody else in the house doesn't do that, you're like, well, I'm putting all this into this and you're not paying attention to it. You know, like it can't be. I've said to Arden before, like it it can't always be my job. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be there too. Or, you know, or my wife will be working from home. She'll be like, well, I was working. I'm like, well, yeah, but what? You, you know, like, and it's hard. Not, like, I, I was doing something, too. It's, I wasn't upstairs, like, playing Candyland, which, by the way, is not a reference to something I've done recently. I don't know how that popped into my head. But um, honestly, I've not played Candyland in a really long time. I want everyone to know that. Not since my children were small. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you get that situation where you're like, am I the only one thinking about this? And or and I don't want to call it anxiety. It's a heightened awareness that something needs to be done, will need to be done, may go wrong, will go wrong. Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also that the other side of that is obviously the emotional support side of things where you know, if she does have a really hard morning and she's in her office crying, you know, I can't just walk up behind her and just pat her on the back and say, they're there, right. you know, and, and, and slunk away and be like, oh, she'll be fine. She's eating a, gluto- a glucose tablet or something. She'll be okay. And you and definitely then, can't say what you're really thinking, which is this is going to mess us up having sex tonight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to, it's going to throw the entire day off. I can't believe a bologna sandwich at one o'clock is not, is going to keep me from getting laid tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sure in the eighties, uh, that was a nice way of saying that. But nowadays I would think being intimate would probably be the way to say that. But, uh, I, I, it is a really strange feeling that something can happen now that is going to mess up everything like, you know, for the day or an hour or a week or whatever it is going to be. I mean, even true, true enough, Arden's, you know, as Arden's period approaches, I'm like, oh, like there's a thought in my head. The next four days are going to be more difficult than mm-hmm the previous four days were. And I'm sure that's for her as well. Like, I'm not saying it isn't, but there's no world where outside of diabetes, my life would change because of her menstrual cycle. Um, there's just so much that goes into it. So emotionally you feel, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you feel or felt in the beginning, like it was 
back to that person, I'm trying to connect this together. Like, did you feel a little selfish again? And did it spark any of those thoughts from when you were younger of like, I didn't want to be doing this? Or did you love her that much by then that that was not the concern? I think by, by this point in time, I've definitely grown out of my, uh, of my youthful inclinations, but uh, it definitely put me in a place where I, I felt like I, I kind of retreated emotionally. And I was very concerned with, especially once I found myself and I kind of hit that emotional wall, mm-hmm. I, I really found myself realizing that, you know, I needed to say something or else I was going to just constantly just bottle this up inside and eventually go insane. Yeah. Um, which will eventually happen in life at some point in time for me, I'm sure. But, but if I can, if I can delay that for now, that would be preferable. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely say that, that the way in which I felt about her at this point in time uh, has definitely changed. And I'll also you know, say this as well, that whenever all of this was going on, it kind of reminded me of a quote uh, from the uh, pastor at our church that we go to he actually has a type one diabetic daughter mm-hmm. and I think she was diagnosed in her first year of, 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 of life. Um, so he remembers waking up each and every night, stressed out, checking her blood sugar as an infant. And he went to an event, a type one event. He was talking to another, another dad of a type one child. And the, the dad said to him, he said, Hey, you know what? At least now, you know, you know what you're going to lay down your life for. And he remember him being so confused. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, are you insane? And the guy said, no, 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 you have the job. You have the honor of getting to lay down your life to love and protect someone with a chronic illness. He's like, and there is no more honorable task in life than doing that. And I remember just finding some solace and some encouragement in those words whenever I heard it in a moment in which I needed it. Now, I, I, I have to say I agree with you. I, I think that pretty early on being a stay-at-home dad, I had that feeling of this requires something of me that I'm not naturally inclined to give, and I need to find it within myself to give it to people, and to my family, and to find real... Uh, joy is the best word in it in the task um you can't you can't do something for someone unwillingly and have it be joyful for either of you so you have to find the reason why keeping the floor vacuumed is important do, do you know what i mean like the what w- um the reason why there are going to be things in your life that you're not going to do or accomplish or, or experience because you're giving some of that time to someone else. And, and if you can find a way for that to be meaningful for you, it is incredibly fulfilling and much better than probably the other ways I would have found to waste my time or to fill my time. Um, I completely agree with that. I, I, it's funny too. I'm always struck when I'm interviewing people that there are so many kind of spiritual people who come on the show and yet, and I think I've been fairly clear about this throughout. I am not a religious person in any way, but I feel like I don't feel like I need it to come from an outside source, I guess. 
I just kind of found it within myself. And so I don't know that it's any different, really. But like when you talk about talking to a pastor, or I, or I always joke about it, but I'm always uh, amazed at how many uh, like people from the Mormon faith end up on the podcast. Or uh, I, I always joke with my wife later, I'm like, what is it about me that attracts so many look like how is this happening <laughs> it's it seems opposite a little bit but i guess it's not really like the way you just explained it made me realize that's how i think about it i just came at it i just found it from a different perspective really um it, it's 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 a lovely idea and i and i and i i firmly believe it if anyone out there is um in simple terms more worried about themselves than they are about the people around them you should try doing it the other way because it's a, uh, it's a great feeling. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I'd say this right here. I mean, Rachel and I's, um, you know, our, our, our faith has definitely been a very, a very big thing in this emotional journey as well. And, and in the type one journey as well um, without, you know, going off on too much of a tangent, obviously uh, it's just been a major connection point for us. Because it, that, you know, that was that was part of where my life kind of turned around from being a, a you know, a literal and proverbial, proverbial train wreck um, before I met her, and we we really reconnected over some of those common those common terms, and I think it's definitely helped us to, um, and I, I I think like you've said, I mean it it, it kind of manifests itself in different ways, but for us it allows us to I think take some of the pressure off of ourselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. And to realize that, you know what, we don't always have to have it together, you know, that we feel a reliance on, on God to, to help us to, to find that middle ground sometimes between one another and in our, you know, emotional state of mind as well. And, and so I'm asking a question here because I don't know, and I, and please, if I, for anybody, I'm, I don't mean this to be insulting, but it, does that make whatever that idea is religion or God or, or whatever it is, is, is it like a, my, I keep thinking my examples are going to be insulting. I don't mean them to be, is it like <laughs> a shelf where you can kind of take your worries and put them over there for a while to just give yourself a break? I would say it's more like a, a hedge of protection that you really can, you can take, you can step under in the rain whenever okay. things are really tough, when things are really difficult, you just come under the protection and the, the comfort, uh, you know, in our, in, in our personal, you know, lives of God. Um, instead of, I, I guess, you know, for us, we really view it as like, like I said, like a really like a hedge of protection, just mm. something to come under to put ourselves in a place where it's like, we don't have the answer, but we're going to step here. And we know that, you're going to protect us. And we know that, you know, it might not work out the way that we think it's going to work out or the way that we prefer for it to work out, but it's going to be okay. So like an umbrella, you're, you're not out of the storm, but at least you're not wet and you can maybe regroup or wait it out or come up with a different idea, wait for something to present itself. And in that time, not be made maddened by, by the rain. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, so, so you, you tell her this at the grocery store, it's, uh, she doesn't take it poorly. Like she could have easily been like, oh great, I'm a burden to my husband. Um, but she's thankful to know that, you know, this thing that 
she didn't know before. What happens next? Does she start letting you in more about the, the, I don't know what, like, how do you get to where you are? We had a really honest conversation about her expectations versus my capabilities, which I know probably sounds too, I don't know, maybe that sounds really basic. And again, I, I, don't, I don't know how to phrase that without it coming across as somehow selfish. Um, but it, it definitely, we, we had to have a conversation because she is like, she is, uh, her personality type is so empathetic and mine again is so task driven and, you know, I view things in more of a checklist kind of perspective, um, to where, like I said, if I can rationalize it away, it shouldn't really be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem for you. Mm -hmm. Why is it? And I guess I remember her looking at me and being like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that you felt that way. That's really hard. And so we just kind of, we leaned into that situation and used it as a, a, a platform to really launch off of into being like, okay, when you are feeling this way, what is a reasonable expectation for Rachel to place on me to meet her in that moment? And at no point in time was I ever trying to vacate the position of emotional supporter. Um, but what we did figure out at that point in time is that I can't be the only person you depend on for, you know, for emotional support in your struggles with type one. Um, and that was a really hard thing for me to admit, but it actually ended up working out, you know, exceedingly well because she, she reached out to her local JDRF chapter and got connected with a girl here. She ended up reaching out to some people in our you know, in our church body that we ended up finding out there were a ton of people in our church body who has type, who have type one. Mm. Uh, and so she's been able to, there's a, there's a you know place where you purchase crepes up in, up in a town up a little bit North of ours and three or four of the people who work there wear Omnipods and Dexcoms. People, crepes and, cause type one diabetes. You've heard it here first. It's breaking news. <laughs> you can quote me on it. Yeah, the French, um, look what they've done to us. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. I mean, she, she realized that she's like, okay, uh, and that's actually that that conversation actually preceded us going to the uh, JDRF summit in Atlanta. That I think if we hadn't had that conversation, I don't know that she would have the connections connections that she has with the Type One community. And I don't know if we would have gone to Atlanta. Well, I'll tell you um, what this all explains to me because I obviously don't know everyone's backstory. Um, I got in 2020 so far. Uh, your wife has hugged me almost the nicest of anybody that has hugged me this year. And and I, I don't mean that to be pejorative. I mean, like it was, it was exactly how you described it. Like I could feel her gratitude while she was hugging me and I couldn't like, I can't cognitively understand why she feels that way. Um, and I hope people understand what I mean by that. Like she sort of was telling me with a hug, like, thank you. And it's a different hug than others. Like I've, I've experienced a number of different kinds of hugs from people. And, um, it, it is really, it's weird when I go to those things public, like those public things, there's a, always a line afterwards, which feels weird. It always feels like a receiving line afterwards. Like I'll, I'll speak somewhere <laughs> and then I turn around and I'm like, Oh my God, there's people here. And, um, and you know, you don't want to be presumptuous, but 
at this point, I just, at you know, we talk for a little bit. I go, are we hugging now? And then they go, yes. And then you're, she just, Rachel was like, I could feel it. Like she was saying thank you to me without words. And she had spoken words prior and you had as well. Uh, but now hearing your story, the context is, is so much deeper. Like I just figured you listened to the podcast and her A1C came down. Do you know what I mean? Like I honestly, yeah. that's what I thought we were standing there talking about. And now I'm hearing what all the backstory to it. And I'm realizing I didn't give myself nearly enough credit in that moment. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was a really, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not overstating it. It's a lovely moment that I still recall. Uh, mm-hmm. And it really was, it's a, she's not running for the best hug of 2020. And uh, with these travel restrictions, she might end up winning. So (laughs) I think she'll definitely uh, covet that award for sure. No kidding. And, and I looked her in the face and I thought, I did think, honestly, there's more to this than I understand, but you know, there's the next person and there's other people and you got to go to another room and talk again. It's just, it's difficult to, it's difficult to really have that conversation, which is why in that moment I said to you guys, like somebody should come on the show because I want to, I want to get this better. Um, I'm really grateful to know that, that I mean, so far everything you said, and I'm not rushing you off. Like, if you have a couple of minutes, I'm not stuck on just talking for an hour because I want to get through all this. Bring it on! I'm actually off today, so. Oh, look at you! <laughs> I got things to do, Quincy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna go wash some dishes after this, probably. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've already done that today, and uh, I've got to get I've got to get dinner on, and uh, and I've got to get a podcast episode up, which I think you're gonna really enjoy with Daria uh, today, but. um but no, but but seriously, it, it's it's really something. So, how long have you guys been married? We have been married for going into our third year. It's very new. Okay, all right, that gives a lot of context to it. So, uh, do you think if you would have bottled this up forever, do you think it would have broken your relationship? I think it would have emotionally made me probably a very callous individual. I think it would have, it, it would have, it would have caused some strife and, and would have eventually led to some major issues down the road for sure. Now, if she looks at you in that grocery store and has an opposite reaction and just snaps at you and is like, well, I'm sorry that my diabetes is a problem for you. Like if you, if it would have gone that way, wow. Like, so because and I bring that up because I guarantee, and it is at least my expectation, that, that would be most people's concern being in your situation is am I gonna say this to this person and have this person be insulted by it in a way that is not fixable? Like am I gonna come off as callous or, you know, do you know what I mean? Like there's a real there's a real risk in what you do. I think it's I think it's terrific that you did it. And uh, I don't know if you did it for self-preservation or because you thought it was the right thing, but either way, it was the right thing to do. Um, but I can see a lot of people not doing that thing. I think a lot of things go unsaid. Yeah. I mean, as uh, it's actually the second most difficult conversation that we've had in our marriage. Uh, the one was actually before we even started dating. She had some, some reservations about dating me because uh, I was a wild child back in my mid-20s. And <laughs> she had some concerns about uh, whether or not she wanted to date this this lunatic, and I remember looking at her one night and I said, "Hey, are are you even ready? Are, are do you even want this to work?" And I remember her looking at me, being like, 
I don't know that I am. Uh. And we walked around this track near my house 30 stinking times and just talked nonstop. And by the time we were done, she had realized that she wasn't really asking herself fair questions, that she really wasn't giving this, uh, you know, an honest shake to succeed. And mm-hmm. that actually ended up, you know, propelling us to, you know, start dating and whatnot, having her, you know, herself being open to that. So there was a little bit of context that at least gave me some, uh, I guess I felt like I, I probably had a better chance at a positive result based off of, you know, that prior experience when you, and having kind of gauged the water like that before. When you say wild child, what you in the poppy trade, you killed people for money. Like, what are we talking about? Exactly. A little excessive uh, partying. Like, what does that mean? You don't have to be real specific, but I'm interested in what that means. Yeah, no, I, I had a, I had a, a fairly, fairly graphic stint with, with alcoholism um, and, and, and other nefarious uh, habits and behaviors um, in my, in my mid twenties. Okay. Um, that definitely uh, calls me to be a very high risk relationship kind of guy. <laughs> well, that's very close to the title of this episode. <laughs> high risk relationship guy. Uh, but I don't think it's going to win, but it's really going to be close to my mind when I sit down to do it. Uh, I love it. So that's, so not as a teenager, but into your 20s. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I was fine, actually. I was a pretty, pretty well behaved kid. And, I hit my twenties and it's like, you know what? Here we go. Let's uh let's throw all caution to the wind. Interesting. And then you found this lovely person and it seemed look at this, a nice story. Look at you. And how old are you now? I'm thirty one. Are you thinking of having children? Eventually, but Rachel's twenty six, so I hit the lottery. Um we've uh, we've got some time, so we've uh we've definitely considered it. Um, whether or not, when we're going to have kids, we'll probably try to have kids here in the next few years. I would think it's going to be good for you for a while, but just let me tell you, um, in your later forties, when she's in her earlier forties, you're going to look really old to her for a couple of years. (laughs) 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 She's going to be walking through that house. That kid's going to be annoying. And she's going to be like, Hmm, what do I do here? (laughs) Guy looks like he's tipping over the edge. I'm still young and attractive. What's going on? His hair's graying up. And he's starting to cut his nose hair. I don't like it. <laughs> don't worry. I'm start trimming my eyebrows back. Yeah, she won't be far behind you. She just won't realize it for a couple of years. Is what I'm saying. Uh, that's it. That's really something. Good for you. Like, and did Rachel? Not that we're going to talk too much about her without her being here. But did she go through any troubles like that, or like did she come from a different path? She came from a different path. Um, she really was the, she's, she is a, a very straight shooter. Mm-hmm. She is just a, a, an incredibly solid individual, uh, an incredibly, she's actually so genuine that even in my most genuine moments, I feel like I'm not being genuine. Gotcha. <laughs> it's like, man, she's really good at this. When I was younger, people used to tell me that uh, my sincerity didn't come out. Like I could be as sincere as I as I could possibly be and really mean it. But yet when I was saying something, it always felt like a little flippant or sarcastic or something like that. And I get accused of that all the time. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, um, it's just, you know, it's a very interesting thing the way people can see you, but I, uh, I, I, she comes off like that. As a matter of fact, I would, I mean, not that, you know, you can tell from looking at somebody, but I would have never guessed that, you know, you were part of a drug cartel or whatever it was you said a minute ago uh, when you were younger. (laughs) And so, I I mean, you guys, 
really feel like you've come. I mean, you especially have come a long way. And she's obviously, you know, letting you in on, you know, her diabetes, which was a big move for her. What does that entail? Like you being more involved with her blood sugars and, and things like that? We have more honest, open dialogue about things. Um, she can look at me and she can say, hey, you know, we can do pizza. And, and I know what I know what that physically means. I know there's going to be an extended bolus in there somewhere. I know that she's going to be planning for that, you know, for a fat rise later on. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely more on top of, of keeping an eye on her Dexcom and, and trying to understand the graph. I'm not quite to, to Scott Benner level with, uh, with my Ninja level, but I, the, the most proud moment I have was actually at the JDRF conference in Atlanta. And, she was, we were going into one of the meetings and she had just eaten something and her sugar was still falling a little bit, but I was able to look at the graph and see with the updates that she wasn't falling that fast. So mm -hmm. I remember looking at her saying, Hey, Hey, don't eat anything else. We were actually in Jenny's class actually, uh, across the hall, uh, in, in Jenny's little um, session. Right. And I remember looking at her and being like, Hey, don't eat anything. I think you're, you're, you're trending like you're going to level off. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to keep falling. And I'm like, just give it, Give it 10 minutes. That's in 10 it. minutes, she had leveled off and she was sitting straight as an arrow at about 80 in the meeting for the rest of the time. I wonder how that feels for you to say to somebody, just wait, knowing that if you're wrong, she's going to get low. Does that feel like a risk to you when you say it? Absolutely. Yeah. When it came out of my mouth, I didn't think it was actually happening. I was like, I'm having an outer body experience. This is what this, this, is what this feels like. <laughs> I, I, um, find myself in my house sometimes i'm like hey have eight of those and then a few minutes later i'm like stop <laughs> she's <laughs> like what i'm like don't eat anymore <laughs> we're done if you're not and then i'll say to her seriously if you're not hungry don't eat anymore if you want them i think we need insulin i know we're correcting here but if you keep eating i think it's going to need insulin and i'm wrong sometimes like don't you know i wouldn't want anybody to think that i'm not and it's hard to go to another person and say, hey, I screwed that up. You've got to drink a half of this. Or I was too aggressive, you know, here or not aggressive enough here. Um, you know, we need more. We have to do it again. I'm the reason your blood sugar is bouncing right now. Uh, it's, um, it's a responsibility for certain because in the end, I don't feel the way she feels. And so I, I'll, I've said it before. You've heard me say it. I think that dispassionate um, step back is how you can make those decisions, except that then there's not a lot of equity uh, of blame or not blame, but of uh, punishment, I guess, when it goes wrong. You know, if I mess up and make her blood sugar 55, I'm not low. She is. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of pressure in that. But so good for you for stepping up and, and interesting that she was able to give you a shot. Um, are you wrong more than you're right or right more than you're wrong, do you think? I think my uh, my success rate is about fifty fifty. So I uh, you getting there? It's, it's not great, but no, getting yeah, it's, getting, it's getting better. Listen, time time yes, is what fixes good. it. Time is what fixes it. You just have to do it over and over again. But more importantly, is is Rachel taking something from a different perspective and and making it part of how she thinks about it? Because that's something we don't talk about very often. But the person with diabetes has other concerns than the person without diabetes. And so it's harder to take those risks, but once they do and they see them pay off, there's a, you overcome a steep learning curve very quickly, I think. 
is she having yeah. good successes? Like, where are we? Can we talk about her blood sugars or side of her? Like, do you know where her A one C is and what her goals? Yeah, are? yeah. Actually, it's it's kind of interesting. You mentioned, you know, so I would say that that part of finding your podcast and finding the JDRF community has actually been. I know I've I've, I've used this word a lot, but it's been very emotionally, um, very emotionally uplifting. Because her A1C going into doing be or being bold with insulin was, you know, a seven. Hmm. And so she's never had, to my knowledge, she's never had, you know, an A1C that's a 10. Right. She's always had a pretty controlled A1C. Now her her variances have been all over the board with up, down, up, down 200, you know, was not something she was that was uncommon to her. But now uh, her last A1C was six. Ah. And so she is obviously thrilled and she ended up doing a little bit of time um, with uh, or working with Jenny Smith um, for a little bit in, in 2020 here mm-hmm. in the first half of the year, which was fantastic. Um, and she recently started looping, which has been a challenge. She's uh, it's definitely required a bit of a, a bit of being patient but she is she's a super trooper when it comes to when she gets set on an idea and she convinces herself that she's ready to do it and mm-hmm. i come on board and emotionally push that and support it usually she gets going 150 miles an hour in that direction and yeah. so as soon as she heard you know the podcast uh, a few years ago or she was she was really ready to to come hot out the gate and make this thing work dive into it well, I mean, once her variability gets lower, it's such a, you know, it's, that's a game changer for how you feel better. Stability is what breeds just overall body happiness, I guess, for, with, with the lack of a better way to say it. Um, it. You can have a lower A1C, obviously, and if you're bouncing, it's just, it's not the same. It doesn't, it just doesn't pay you back the same with how you feel. Uh, and, and it sounds like she's well on her way. I bet you... With that, what you just told me, I bet you her A1C trends into the fives at some point and probably levels around and stays there without crazy lows or anything like that. So good for her. She would definitely love that. She would definitely love that. That's amazing. I'm thrilled for you guys. You were so nice when I met you. I was just like, these are lovely people. I didn't realize, (laughs) of course, that you were a trained killer or something like that prior. But I, you know, it's still, you did a nice job of masking it. So no big deal. Um, Do you think she was, so... So I, I do want to bring up and just to tease her a little bit, I guess she was really, was she excited or nervous to talk to me? What was that that was going on? Cause you had to talk in the beginning because she seemed like she was going to pop. <laughs> it was a bit of both. I think it was kind of this, this shock of, of realizing, I, mean, I think she does absolutely attribute a lot of where she's at right now to the work that you've accomplished on the, the juice box podcast. And listening to the pro tips of you and Jenny. So for her, it was really a big moment because I think she really does uh, attribute a lot of where she's at right now to, to you mm. and to the, to the hard work of, of, uh, of, of Jenny and, and yourself and creating the pro tips and really making type one, something that feels a lot more manageable. Well, just so you know, and so anybody else that might ever be in this situation knows when you first approach me, I have to make a decision. Excited or crazy? That's <laughs> <laughs> she didn't come off as crazy. So I was like, okay. But she was really almost at all. I mean, being 
honest for a second and and sincere, it is not something I run around expecting. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I am not, yeah. I know I, I'm sarcastic and maybe some people can't follow that sometimes, but I'm not walking around going, I wonder when the next person will come up and bow down in front of me as they should. Like, I don't have feelings like that. Yeah, I'm genuinely stunned when someone uh, has, has that, you know, that kind of like, oh my God, you helped me so much and thank you. And, and seems a little, uh, for the lack of a better word, starstruck because that's clearly not real. Like I'm not, I am not a famous person. And and so I don't, you know, I don't have expectations around that. And it is hard uh, to know how to handle that. Like it's, I, so that you, you understand from my perspective, I don't like, that doesn't feel natural to me. So it's a very strange, and I want you to like to have like that. What is happening here? People are coming after us. Can you hear this? I cannot. Oh. I guess a, a phone call went through to the answering machine and it popped up on my phone just now and I'm hearing a recorded message to remind somebody about a doctor's appointment. So I'll cut that out if it's coming through. Um, hold on, it's happening again. I can't get to the phone to shut it off. We're going to just have to live through it for a second, Quincy. Hold on. That's all right. We can, we can handle it. Oh my God, you said this already. <laughs> if you're leaving it as a message, why do you have to repeat it? She didn't say goodbye at the end. That seems rude. rude. <laughs> that is rude. That is rude. As, a, as a Southerner, I mean, that's that's rude. You've gone to all the trouble of making the recording. You could say goodbye at the end of it. Uh, but but no, I mean, really genuinely, like it's not. It's that's not a natural state for me. I don't know how to. You, you can probably hear it on the podcast sometimes when people say things. I don't know what to say back. I'm like, thank you, or I'm grateful, or I feel like I'm happy. It's helping you. There's no way to. Um, I don't know. Even if I felt that way, like, could I just be like, of course, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yes, please come on and tell me how it is. I've helped you. Uh, um, and even, you know, like, can you imagine if I was just like, I don't know, I don't feel that way, but I try to joke about it to keep it light. And every once in a while, I think people don't hear sarcasm and they're just like, he's so full of himself. And I'm like, I wish you knew the truth, which is, I'm just like, I'm stunned that Quincy's having a good, uh, a good experience or that any of the things that uh, that Quincy's shared today about his and Rachel's life, like, you know, it just, I don't know. I just made a podcast. You know what I mean? It, uh, I didn't, I didn't think one day it was going to, I don't want to say save your marriage, Quincy, but I mean, really, let's be honest. It's pretty I mean, damn helpful. I, I, I give, I give you all the credit for it. You know? Thank you. And that's why I think <laughs> little Scott would be a reasonable, at least a middle name. You know, if there's a baby, unless the kid's going to go wacky in his 20s, and then I don't want to be associated. So, you know, whatever. Well, his you father, think. his father was insane in his 20s. So <laughs> it runs in the family. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if this backfires on me in 20 years from now? There's just a, 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 a just a, a wild mob of insane children, all with my name. <laughs> Scott, this is what you asked for. Just I at mean. the end of my life, I'll be like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have joked about that with so many different people. <laughs> <laughs> the Scots again overran a city today. You know, like, I don't need that. Oh my gosh, that'd be ridiculous. Just uh, moving city by city. Yeah, they're just marauding, uh, which I guess is a weird thing to joke about right now as, you know, that is kind of happening. But uh, applicable. Is, uh, did we not talk about anything that you wanted to talk about Did I leave anything out or did we miss something? Not that I can think of. I mean, um, 
I did actually write down some some notes for the uh, the podcast over here, trying to mm. keep my my thoughts organized because I'm really bad at that kind of stuff. Did we? But every, are you looking? Do you see something? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking. I'm not. I'm not really seeing anything on here. I mean, I feel like we that uh, you really covered everything that I was really thinking. Um, that was that was important as far as trying to address things from the perspective of the of the type one supporter to you know to not feel. If, if they definitely do feel as though they they need to have that conversation, I mean, I would encourage it. And I, I guess probably know your person, but yeah, I don't think you can live in if you feel like you're isolated and that it's just you and your person, and you're bearing all of the brunt of the emotional up and downs of of highs and lows. And I know for me that would have, I I can't think that that would have led us to any kind of a great place mm. if if something hadn't have been said. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did it. I really am. It's you guys are lovely and I, I wish you nothing but the best. I have to ask you, this is uh, a side of everything we've talked about, but in a minute or two, if people are struggling with drugs and alcohol, can you tell them what, what did it for you? Like, how did you help yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would jokingly say that getting older probably helped me as well. Mm-hmm. When I realized I couldn't survive a hangover anymore, it was definitely a, an eye-opening experience. Um, for me, it was, it was definitely linked to, um, uh, my wife and just realizing that I was absolutely just wasting my time and had no appreciation for the relationship that I had formed and the dependence that I had formed on, on alcohol mm. and the desire to just constantly be in a state of inebriation, um, what ended up happening is I ended up going to the emergency room with what I thought was a heart attack in my twenties. And I was forced to stay sober for about three or four days, which was the longest run that I had had up until that point in time for several years. And I, I remember at that point in time, I was able to sit back and actually have a moment where I was sober for a period of time and realized that it was an absolute waste of my time. Um, it was emotionally draining and it was an absolutely just, you know, vapid, uh, lifestyle, um, that was never going to lead to any kind of long-term benefit. Um, so the break helped you. So, so the, so sometimes you get involved in things that just, they pick up their own momentum and then you just keep doing them because it becomes the thing that you do. Instead yeah. of, you know, like you've com- you're pot committed now. You're like, I drink. So this is what I do. I, I have such a, an odd, when I was growing, you know, when I was coming of age in the late 80s, cigar smoking was uh, popular. And buddies of mine and I, we'd get cigars and sit around and smoke cigars and talk and everything. And then one day you realize you can't just drive to the cigar store every time. So you get like this little humidor to keep them, you know, moist. And then the next thing you know, I realized I don't particularly enjoy smoking cigars, but I felt committed. Like I had made some sort of an investment in it. And the the greatest thing I ever did for myself was like, I don't care. And I just threw it all away. And I was like, I don't need this. Like, what am I doing this for? Like, it was fine when it was a cigar every once in a while, but now they're here. Now it feels like I'm a cigar smoker. Now it feels like I have free time. This is what I should be doing. And it's interesting how quickly you can talk yourself into believing you're a certain thing and that that thing has to be 
and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you got a couple of days. Do you think you were drinking to mask anxiety? Probably. Yeah. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> I didn't mean to fix you here. We're trying to talk about other stuff, but but um, have you addressed that now? Like, how do you manage your anxiety now? You get one of those hugs from Rachel. That probably helps. Yeah, I, I think I think you know being more willing to discuss my emotional state of mind which helps when you have someone like my wife who is a, she pursues and she loves to ask questions. And some of the questions make me uncomfortable. And a lot of times I'm not great at answering them in the moment. A lot of times I have to think about them and say, I'll come back to you on that one. Cause I don't know. Yeah. And, but, but for me, I think just being willing to live in the open <clears throat> and be willing to just be vulnerable um, with my, with my emotional state of mind. Yeah. And not, you know, want to lean on anything, alcohol to push me into a state of mind where I don't have to think about it for the next few hours, but I'm going to eventually wake up and this is going to have to be discussed. So I think instead of turning to something else, being willing to turn to my wife and turn to other people in my life who are, you know, who can speak into my life and, and look at me and say, Hey, I can tell something's up. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What's, what's going on in your mind? And just being willing to have more open and honest dialogue, I think has been tremendously helpful. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You stay with that girl. Okay. Um, don't, don't let her <laughs> go. It, if she tries to get away, just be like, mm, no, I don't think so. You have to stay. Right. Well, oh. We have to, we have to have a kid named Scott. So well, at least uh, have to follow through to then. <laughs> yeah. Don't let me down here. Okay. Quincy. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. Did you ever look at your parents and say, so Quincy, huh? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> definitely unique right you should send them a note today i'm sorry they're probably passed on and i'm joking but uh but um, hopefully they're fine send them a note today and be like hey i figured out today on a podcast why i drank in my 20s it was quincy <laughs> just so you know put it right back on them they deserve it was it a family name they it didn't is. just it's lo- my great it was my great grandfather's name and it was his uh it was my granddad's middle name dude that's not an excuse <laughs> <laughs> My mom, 11th hour, saved me from being named after my, my dad's father, and they stuck it in my middle name. But still, I mean, if, if my mom never did another thing for me for the rest of my life, she paid me back in that moment. Uh, so, And I'm not even sharing it with you. I hate my middle name so much. <laughs> <laughs> but if I just – I can't even imagine if that was my name. It just would – it would have it it would have killed me. <laughs> the trajectory of your life would have been different. I really That's think I'd different. be alone under a bridge right now. asking people riddles and stuff yeah hey can you imagine if i had a microphone we could record this conversation we're having instead uh you know i now i if you excuse me i have to go put newspaper in the bottom of my shoes because i don't think i would have been able to afford shoes if they would have named me that that's how badly it would have been (laughs) anyway man thanks so much for doing this and for hanging out with me and and running over a little bit i really appreciate it not a problem scott always a always a pleasure to to chat with you and and to, you know, just open up about what, you know, what's going on in, uh, in the supporters world, I suppose, for, for people who, uh, who have to, or who have to, who have who've made the choice to, to love a type one. Well, I got to tell you beyond that, and I, I mean this, like, I'm grateful for everybody that comes on the show, but sometimes men have trouble being this honest while they're talking. This was not a surface conversation, so I, I really appreciate that. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. 
Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter and the T1D Exchange. Check out that Contour Meter at contournext.com forward slash juice box and enter yourself into the T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org. I left Atlanta and then the world went to hell. So I don't remember a lot prior to what happened. Since then, things have been a little, a little testy to say the least. It's been really strange. That's for sure. I left you guys and did like an immediate turnaround and went to Florida to watch my son play baseball. And uh, he was in a collegiate summer league. Well, it's uh, his collegiate spring league. He was actually playing for his college, and they play their first 10 games in the South because, of course, we live somewhere where, you know, that time of year, it's just, it's ungodly cold here still. Right. right. So we're down there for a couple of days, and he says, like, I, I don't feel great. And I was like, uh, what's wrong? He said, I, I think I must have allergies. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um. And, you know, take a Zyrtec. And then a couple days later, he's like, Dad, I might really be sick. And and I was like, you all right? And he's like, I don't know. I, I don't feel good. And, and he's, you know, not prone to being sick and not prone to complaining. And um, Wednesday came, and he didn't start at his position because they were going to use him as a pitcher. And in the seventh inning, he goes in, and he pitches seven, eight, and nine to, no lie, the the number one team in the country in their division. And he shuts him down. He comes off the field. He's always pissed because he he doesn't want to pitch. And, you know, so he's mad that he had to pitch. And which is a weird thing. I've never been good at something and then been irritated to have to do it. Like, I I don't know (laughs) what that's like, you know. Um, And he comes, he's done. And he's like, I don't feel good. He's like, could I have this coronavirus thing? And I was like, ah, you don't have that. (laughs) You you know, um, he goes back to the hotel And we're supposed to go to like a barbecue dinner that night. And he calls me. He's like, I can't go to this dinner. You got to come over here and help me. Um, Something's wrong. So I went over, took him to urgent care. He had like 101 and a half degree fever. And he turned out to have strep throat. So they medicated him, pulled him out of the hotel with the team. He had to stay with me the rest of the time. We had to stay down there for three more days while he couldn't play. He wasn't allowed to be on the bench. Couldn't go on the field. Like like nothing. And um, people backed away from him like he was typhoid mary (laughs) like no one would go anywhere near him and i'm like no he's got strep throat they tested him and everyone's like yeah yeah he's got that virus they're talking about on the radio and i was like uh he doesn't you know but everybody was like sketchy it was really uh i i had to talk the school into letting him come back to get his stuff that's when you just have to push him around in a grocery cart like (laughs) et and just hope that people are, are understanding well as soon as the um you know, he got he got a an antibiotic, and no kidding, twenty four hours after the antibiotic hit him, he was okay. Like he was run down, like he couldn't have kept playing. He was too beat up. But I mean, he you know symptoms went away, fever was gone. If he had coronavirus, his fever wouldn't have gone away from an antibiotic, you know. And so, like you're telling people that, and but it was so early in the process, nobody knew. 
So they were just like, yeah, whatever, asshole. <laughs> like, <they> just <laughs> keep that dirty kid away from me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know what? I hear it. Like, let it happen. It's, it's fine. So if you're still here, that was a little preamble, a little conversation that Quincy and I had right before we recorded. I left it in sort of as a timestamp around COVID-19, you know, for future understanding. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show, for joining the private Facebook group, for sharing the podcast with others, and generally speaking, just for being what I think might be the greatest group of podcast listeners I could ever hope for. I'll talk to you soon.